Well, this morning, this is kind of cool. We're uh, going to do a little bit of a different morning today. We're, I'm going to speak, but I'm going to invite Dan Schmidt, uh, who's going to come and speak in a few minutes, to kind of share the load today. So uh, he'll come up in a few minutes and take part. But we're completing our God in My Everything series today. This is our last Sunday where we're giving exclusive focus on that, where we're looking at how we can experience God, not just in our formal times of prayer and worship, but also through our family life through our friendships, through play and rest. We even believe that God wants to be in in the parts of our lives that are maybe hot topics like sex and money, those those as well. So as we conclude our series, we're going to look at how we experience God in our everyday work. Most of us will be spending most of our waking hours in some kind of work, some kind of job, whether it's at home with young children or in a business or a company or at school studying. Or even as a retired person, Uh, some of the folks who I've met who are retired are some of the busiest people I know. They find things to do somehow, and some of it's work, uh, volunteering or whatever. Speaking of retirement, I saw a quote this week that uh, struck me. It said, retirement, the day when you stop working and finally start living. I thought, how sad was that? (laughs) I mean, because I've got a ways to retire, and I'm thinking, is that when when life begins? Uh, but what a shame to think living starts at 65, or, or I think, you know, as one of the uh, insurance companies says, freedom 55, um, whenever. And I thought, shouldn't life be lived not just on weekends or holidays or when we've retired? I, I, th- I think uh, not. Henry Nowen, he said something quite profound about work. He said, if I cannot find God in the middle of my work, where my concerns and worries, pains and joys are, It does not make sense to try to find him in the hours set free at the periphery of my life. Again, if we're aiming to to have God in our everything, we better find a way to have God in our work. As as we've said, like with family, this is kind of where we live. We're going to spend a a good probably third of our life in it. How How do we do that? Interesting, back in the fourth century, John Cassian, one of the church fathers, he taught the monks to take on these simple menial labors, things like weaving baskets in a cave or or going out into the field and and gathering grain. And he told them, while you're doing this, consciously pray all the time. And and the monks found this to be be a very difficult prescription. They found it to be exhausting, actually. It's like when you hear that scripture quoted, uh, pray without ceasing. You're like, how do I do that? century later, Benedict came along, and, and he had a slightly different perspective. He taught that, that if you had a simple rhythm of prayer, then your work during your day, even if you weren't consciously praying, was an act, act of devotion to God, and therefore your work was prayer. I mean, his famous instruction is summarized with, to pray is to work, and to work is to pray. The Apostle Paul says something similar in Colossians 3. So if you're able this morning, would you stand uh, for the reading of God's word? Paul says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. 
May God bless the reading of his word. Have a seat. Now, um, he addresses, he begins uh, by addressing slaves in the text, and, and slavery was an issue in the day of Paul, and in parts of our world, slavery is unfortunately still uh, an issue. But I don't think any of us uh, are slaves. Maybe you feel like a slave some days. But uh, Paul's ideas transfer, I think, to any of us. They certainly transfer to our, our working world. In this text, Paul gives a simple yet, yet profound idea that we do our everyday work before the very face of God. Whatever work that might be. I mean, whatever you're doing, whatever your particular job is, that actually really elevates and brings dignity and, and dignifies your work. Think about it this way. Can, can you imagine that tomorrow morning you're, you're doing your work, whatever it is, as a, as a homemaker or, a, or in a company or at a school, but you're doing it before the person that you admire most in the world. I mean, think of it. If, if you were a computer, you know, gaming programmer or something like that, and, and we have a few of those in our church, I mean, think about what it would be like uh, if, if the person who, the, the gaming programmer in the world was there, the, the person you admire most. Or uh, you're, you're at home and you're making a meal for your family. You're, you're crafting supper, and you have the chef, whom you most admire in the world there with you. I mean, say it's Barefoot Contessa, and she's sitting at the kitchen island watching you as you prepare. I mean, how would that make you feel? Um, after getting over your kind of initial uh, intimidation factor, kind of feeling a little bit awkward, I, I, I think, wouldn't you find yourself doing your work with energy and, and with a, a whole heart, as Paul says? I, I mean, wouldn't you be fully present in, in your work? Wouldn't you be doing your work with, with gratitude uh, and, and with love? I think it would make a difference, wouldn't it? And that's what Paul's talking about in, in our text. He's talking about taking the, the kind of the mundane things of our everyday jobs and our lives together and, and, and reminding us that everything our, that we do, every part of our work is, is done not just for God, but it's done with God. I mean, he's there in our midst, and that ought to transform our work. How should that transform it? As I said, uh, work done in the presence of Christ means that you do it with a whole heart. You do it wholeheartedly, as, as Paul says. I mean, in your work, you have, uh, I'm just guessing that you have a great boss or a horrible boss or somewhere in between. Somewhere in between, maybe? Horrible? <laughs> You're fired. Um, <laughs> for those of you who are self-employed, good luck with your boss. Um, Paul says, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And, and so for, at one level, we, we do our work wholeheartedly because we're ultimately accountable to Jesus for the stewardship of the gifts and the talents that he's entrusted to us. I mean, think of the parable of the talents in, in Matthew 25. You know, the parable where, where talents were given to three different servants, and uh, each of them did different things with it. And the, the final one, who was eventually condemned because he just buried his talent. He didn't do anything with it. And it's clear from that parable, it's a sin to squander what God gave us by not diving into our work, by, by burying our ideas and our dreams and our labor because, why? Well, maybe we're afraid or, or we're lazy or we're unwilling to risk. This, this fall, as my boys, my two sons, as they leave for school, they take the bus now, so we kind of send them off into the world. I, I've had a theme of what I've said to the boys every morning. Pretty much every morning as they left for, for school, 
I shout at them, even sometimes opening the door and shout as they're running for the bus. Do you know what I say to them? Work harder. That's what I say to them. I know it sounds terrible, um, but it's not really about cracking the whip, uh, per se. Um, anyway, I was t- talking with one of them this week who got kind of a mixed review on one of their, in one of their courses, classes, and I said, you know, we want you to, to, to work hard because we want you to rise to the level of genius that we see in you. And I, and I see in my sons, I see gifts and talents, and it's my desire for them to, to rise up to their glorious potential and not, not just kind of do nothing with the gifts and talents they've been given because it's, this is the path of least resistance. So I'm saying you can work harder. Work harder. Whatever we do, we're accountable for it. And we're, I, I believe we're accountable not just for the work we do. I, I'm a, I think we're accountable for the risks that we don't take. We're accountable for those things. And we're, whatever we do, we're called to do it wholeheartedly as working for the Lord. And then working for the Lord ought to bring integrity and, and consistency. You might call this authenticity to our work. Paul, Paul says we're to work wholeheartedly not only when your boss's eye is on you and to curry their favor... In other words, you don't just do your work in those ways with, with passion and heart. When, when, you're, when your boss is in the room, when their eye is on you, to try to impress them. If you're a, a Christian, your workload, shouldn't, your, your commitment to your work shouldn't spike up when, when your employer is watching you and then spike back down again when they're out of the room. Why is that? Because your boss is not your ultimate employer. Jesus is. He, I, I, your company might have their, their paycheck on that, but um, Jesus is your ultimate employer. And so we don't fake it. You ever had, uh, you know, looked at a, you've been at a wedding and you saw a beautiful wedding cake, and then you realized that it was all facade? <laughs> like it just looked really good, but if you cut into it, it's plastic, about, you know, half an inch under the icing? I mean, I would hope that as Christ followers, our work wouldn't be like a really good-looking wedding cake, but there's no cake in the cake, right? Jesus is saying, be the cake, something like that. <laughs> be the cake. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not in my notes. That's not there. Yeah, thank you. Hey, thank you. Uh, so there's integrity, seeking to honor God in all we do, not shaping our work around what makes us look good or trying to impress others or even according to office politics. Uh, when you're a Christian, I think you don't have to get concerned about office politics because it's not a, that, you know, you're really not trying to impress them. You leave that to God, and he takes care of those things. Finally, why do we do this? Paul's words, he said, since you know that you will receive inheritance from the Lord as a reward. What we're talking about here is compensation. And at least a part of what we do is for a paycheck, right? We're trying to pay the bills, those kind of things, and, and so we do that. But Paul says we're to work wholeheartedly, we're to, to, to do good as before the Lord, because we know whatever good we do, we'll receive back something similar from the Lord. Put in good, and you get good back. That's the principle. Kind of you reap what you sow. When a, when a, a, a Christian does his or her work unto, as unto the Lord, it changes from, from simple work to sacred good. And good deeds are not just, as we kind of think of them commonly, as feeding the poor or, or sharing our faith. 
A good deed is when you do your job, no matter what it is, as a service to Christ with a, a whole, uh, whole heart and a, a good intention. Your company, they compensate you with salary and benefits. God compensates your good with his good. You want you sow, you'll reap. To borrow from the story of Rumpelstiltskin, you spin flax and he'll give you gold. And I found that God is endlessly creative with the good that he gives us in repayment for the good that we do for him. It's, it's hard to say what it'll be for you. I mean, it might be a, a life-changing relationship or it might be great influence, a, a, an incredibly meaningful life. It might be the trust of your boss or even a raise. It might be a growing reputation or, or surprising opportunities. But one thing it will certainly mean is that your, your Christ-like character will continue to grow in you and within you. And that is a great treasure in and of itself. So to sum up, we work in the presence of Christ as servants of Christ. Uh, Stuart, Stuart Briscoe, an author and pastor, once asked a, a young woman, what do you do? And she replied, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, very skillfully disguised, disguised as a machine operator. I like that. Working as disciples and servants of Jesus means we'll strive to do our work wholeheartedly and with integrity, knowing that he will reward us with the ultimate compensation package. Well, this morning, we wanted to make this kind of uh, eminently practical, and so I want to invite up Dan Schmidt. Dan's going to come. Dan is an uh, elder in our church. He's actually a chair of our elders team, but he's also a business owner. Most days, that's his, one of his primary roles. He runs a painting company, one of the, the foremost commercial painting companies in the Lower Mainland, and uh, he's a part owner of that, that group, and uh, they do great paint. In fact, if you look at the walls in our room here, their company painted this, this room. Um, so Dan's going to share with us uh, what it looks like to, ha- in some senses, to integrate his Christian faith with his life at work. Dan. Thanks, Darwin. Um, I'm not sure how I can follow up on, um, we need more cake, but <laughs> if you don't know me, my name is Dan Schmidt. And yeah, my company, Remdall Painting and Restoration, is where I ha- hang my hat most Monday to Fridays and sometimes on the weekends. And... Uh, I'm just going to, given time, I'm going to jump right in um, with a rant, actually. You're good now. Thank you. I was born short and never grew up. So permit me a really, I'll try and keep it short, a short rant. It seems that we're stuck in the dichotomy, stuck between deciding between work and spirituality. Can God really be in our everything, as Ken Shigematsu encourages us? Um, and when I use the word work, uh, along with Derwin, I'm, I'm really thinking much broader than just, uh, you know, something you get a paycheck for. Um, all the business that you do in your day, what you might call the work of your day, perhaps. Can we see that as co-creating with God? Uh, that work can be fulfilling and good in and of itself. And I'd like to say, yes, you can. Amen to that. But it's easy to see that our work is often just filling time. Um, the necessary, it's sometimes called the evil of earning enough to pay our bills. We may not think work is bad, but our culture encourages us to think of it as something we should just endure, right? Something to dislike, the whole I hate Mondays sentiment, right? And as Christians, we can get caught up in that too. Or, or we can get caught up in the I need uh, something like work plus. That is, I'll add some Jesus to my work, and that'll make it better. That'll make it worthwhile. 
And frankly, while most of us probably need to add more Jesus to our work, that's beside the point. So what's the point? Work is good, period. God created it. It can be fulfilling in and of itself. Ephesians 3 says, What does the worker gain from his toil? I know there is nothing better for men and women than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink, sounds good so far, and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. The gift of God. And Ken's book reminds us of Jesus as an example. Uh, I'm pretty sure he didn't reflect on his first 30 years and go, man, that was just wasted time. I'm glad I got to those final three years, right? So, enough of my rant. Don't miss out. What God wants to do in your work, in your toil, your daily activities, work is good. Back to my current journey. I met my uh, business partner, Ken, about 15 years ago, and about 10 years ago, he invited me to work with him building Remdall. And to be clear, many of the good things that go on at Remdall have been led by him. I've worked alongside. I have significant influence in the company as a partner, but I really want to give credit there. He's a great leader and a mentor to me, and I, I trust him. At the core of our company, we're Christian. The owners of our company are Christian. And our mission statement is this. It begins with these words. Remdall exists to glorify God. So we put it out there, and that gets a little scary because it makes us pretty accountable in that. Let me give you just a couple really quick practical ways that we as a company are working with, and I hope what those will do will be to encourage you as you think about the kind of work you're involved in. Firstly, how we treat each other really matters. How we treat our employees, how we treat our customers, our suppliers, everyone we meet, frankly. Can we have all of those interactions be positive, perhaps even godly, beyond um, kind of a standards of conduct that you come up with in, in, in a corporate culture, but really around the desire to treat others with love, even when we disagree, and maybe perhaps especially then. I've been recently challenged in this as we approach our year-end and a focus on clearing those final uh, details, getting paid, closing all the jobs, uh, dealing with problems. And in my mind, there's a few principles that I need to think about. One is, What's the right thing to do in this situation? What's, what's the black and white? What's the contract say? What's just in the situation? And secondly, how do we serve the customer best? What's in their best interest? What's going to give them the best long-term value? How do we uh, correct maybe some of the mistakes we've made and so on? And thirdly, what, what's the godly posture here? One that holds justice and mercy and tension, right? One that's more concerned with the person and the process than with the outcome. How I lead, how I um, speak, decisions I make, will all of my speech glorify God? See, practically, if I represent Jesus to them, whether they realize it or not, would they be more attracted to Jesus or less after we've sorted this out? The second... um, the events we hold are precious. We do two big events in the year, and those are chances to speak into the lives of our employees and the people who attend. If we've walked the walk daily, here's a chance to give some context in what I would see as a teachable time. The first is our annual picnic. It's the biggest event for us. We invite 150 to 175 people, all of our employees and all of their families, bring them together and have a great time together. And, and we distinctly talk about preaching the gospel there. 
Second Timothy 4 reminds us to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And to me, this is an opportunity in season where we have a teachable moment and we can share the gospel. So we try to share a story. Uh, we try not to be overly preachy. We try and share a, a Jesus story with them, a, a parable, something from the New Testament. It's really a chance to lay the foundation for future conversations. It's to say we care, that we want the best for them. And frankly, that we'd be negligent if we didn't tell the whole story of what we're about with them. The second is Christmas. Uh, it's a more intimate event with our uh, employees, our office staff, our management, our foreman, kind of the more senior people are there, usually about 40 to 50 uh, people there, to talk about what Christmas rather really means in the context of um, a culture that doesn't understand it very well. Not only in the context of North American culture, we've been celebrating, it seems, uh, good uh, Black Friday and all that goes around with it. Now I'm getting uh, some Cyber Monday or something coming up. And, uh, you know, we, we celebrate that right through to Boxing Day, all shopping all the time. But this group is really very multi-ethnic. And so their, their understanding and their beliefs uh, in that room are very, very different. Can we respect that? But can we also share with them that more than anything, we'd love for them to know Jesus too. The third area is how we are organized can help live out our mission. I believe that a company can be structured in ways to help it be more Christian. And that took a little bit of thinking, but for us, the way that that's worked out, we use the language and structure of teams. And this is really one of the primary ways that we build relationships. If we want to share Jesus throughout our company, then how do we get beyond that kind of upper management Christian at its core level? Well, one way, for us at least, is by having a team that we connect with, a team that we have opportunity to care for individually, to invest in them personally and their lives, to uh, invest in their work, of course, to help build them, and then to give them the responsibility to build a team as well and to do the same thing. In Christianese, we would call that discipleship, disciples building disciples. In our company, we talk about team. And that makes us close, closer, and makes us accountable for what we do and what we say. And frankly, it's turned out to be good business as well. As we hear more clearly from one another, we have an opportunity both to encourage and to correct that idea of speaking the truth in love in a place where a relationship has some depth. Finally, we need to remain committed to Sabbath-keeping. Our company policy is we don't work on Sundays. And if we do have to, we provide another day off a Sabbath because it's biblical and because it's healthy and there's a variety of other reasons. You've heard Derwin speak on this. I won't go there. But it is countercultural, and it particularly is countercultural in the construction world and even more so in my business where uh, painting jobs for us mostly are outside and need good weather. And when it rains, and when the rains come, and the whole week has been rainy, and sun, suddenly the weekend's going to be sunny, and I need to get that job done, how firm is our commitment to the Sabbath? Do we just turn a blind eye to the workers that end up going to work while we, as management, head to the off, to church? Or can we encourage them to take the day off, caring for their whole lives, not just using them as ready labor, See, it really flows from our mission statement, seeking to glorify God. And it requires us, it requires me to lead strong in that, to trust again that God will provide the sunshine days we need 
if we take this one off. I've talked a lot about Remdal, and uh, I wanted to share one personal uh, kind of final comment. Because I've discovered that my faith impacts my work only as far as I make my personal walk with Jesus a priority, and only as far as I live it out as a leader. The last three years I've been hanging out with uh, Daniel chapter 4. Some of you have heard me talk about this. And I was inspired by an amazing sermon by Andy Stanley, one of my favorite people to listen to. Uh, In Daniel 4, it's the story of of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. It's right after the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story. And Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of a tree, and Daniel is the only one who can interpret it. And this tree is a big tree, and it represents the nation, and it's going to get cut down. And it's an extremely dangerous situation for Daniel as he realizes he needs to tell King Nebuchadnezzar, um, you're the tree, and you're going to get cut down, and you're going to spend seven years acting like a crazy man. And in the middle of this dream that Nebuchadnezzar receives and Daniel interprets is this wonderful phrase that Nebuchadnezzar will not only live like an animal, but that will come to an end, and, and here's, the, here's the phrase. Until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Until you acknowledge that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Now here's a world leader with incredible power and he doesn't even know or really believe in God. But God is sovereign over him. The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth. Not just over the churches, not just over the godly nations like we like to think of Canada is, but over it all. And he's sovereign over my business and over our work. And God gives power or leadership to individuals in those kingdoms, in those places of influence, in my work, and he can take it away. So this great story reminds me of four quick phrases. The first is leadership is a privilege. It's something to give thanks for and appreciate for the opportunities it brings. Secondly, leadership is really stewardship. We don't really own leadership. We rent it. It's temporary, and like Nebuchadnezzar discovered, it can be taken away. And thirdly, we're accountable. Uh, Duran was just talking about that, being diligent in our work. God looked at what Nebuchadnezzar was doing, gave a warning, but he didn't listen And so, too, I'm accountable. I need to be diligent in my work, prepared to account not to others but to God for my day's labor. And finally, live with passion in the areas we have, in the areas of influence we have. Use the gifts I have, not needing to be more than I am, but recognizing that in this time, in this season, I'm called to serve in these unique ways. And then enjoy them, lean into them, be passionate about them. We're all given places of leadership, sometimes more visible, sometimes more hidden or servant-like. And in as much as we lead, our faith can impact our work. God, in my everything. Amen. Thank you, Dan. That was uh, very thoughtful and uh, appreciate what you shared about being a business leader uh, and uh, trying to have uh, integrate 
your Christian faith in the way you lead your company. Hmm. I want to ask you a personal question. Uh, as we think about God and our everything, uh, how do you experience or what rhythms have you experimented with to, hmm. to see uh, God throughout your actual work day? Um, just in terms of sort of practicing the presence of God or connecting with him in real ways. How have you succeeded and failed in that? Can you, can you share just briefly? Yeah, it'd probably be a longer story if I told you all the failures. Um, I, I, I've always been a fairly organized person, and uh, here my wife will be laughing at me. Um, so I've, I've had a, a fairly good yearly rhythm of setting priorities and goals and that kind of thing. And one of the neat things I, I learned a few years back was to think about those priorities and goals uh, in the sense of roles. And so some people talk about the hats you wear, right, the different things you do, the different roles you have. For me, me as, a, as a husband, as a father, as a church uh, leader or at my work or just a man of God, those kind of things. And so what would my priorities, what would the things I do in those areas um, look like? And, and how could I build that into the rhythm of my year? But frankly, I forget God so, so often in my day it's not funny and, and so I've been trying a few things to, to, to bring it, rather than kind of these big yearly goals, into a monthly goal, um, and then into some daily goals. Some of you might know the, the idea of the daily office. Uh, we've talked a bit about that. The idea is really to take a break in your day and spend a few minutes just kind of being, out with, being with God, just hanging out with God. Uh, usually it has a period of silence and some prayer and some reading and some more silence, but, but the idea is just to to commune with God, to be with God. Um, I'm not very good at that. I don't like silence very much. Um, and so I've tried it, and, I, you know, I bought the book, and I was reading some stuff, and so well, that works okay. Um, but, but that's something, if you're thinking of me, you can pray for me that I continue to try and find ways to take those breaks. One of the things that has worked really well for me, though, has just to take a break. So it's not a very spiritual thing in that sense, but it, um, my day can go, you know, I can leave the office at, say, 10 o'clock and, and not stop again until, say, 6 or 6.30. And that's, first off, not very healthy. Um, but, but I've just kind of been, you know, winding the wheel for that, that period of time. And so I've learned just to uh, pull, I love coffee, so I pull into a coffee shop, and I might check my email, but then I put my phone down. And I'll spend 10 or 15 minutes just, just quiet. Just, uh, I might, if I'm distracted, I usually carry a piece of the newspaper. I'll read an article in a newspaper or something. But, but I'll just try and slow down, have a coffee, think. And, and what I found as I've done that more and more is that God wants to speak to me in those times. And, and so he'll remind me of somebody I should pray for or something I've forgotten to do or, you know, just, just, uh, just a, so a break. I think there's an emotional or physical side of that. But uh, God's been teaching me, and there's a spiritual side to it. Too. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Well, thanks, Dan. Let's give Dan a, a huge thanks for uh, what you offered this morning. Really appreciate it. I'm going to uh, invite the worship team to come up, and we're going to close. But we're going to take a moment and uh, invite you to spend just a, a minute or so in prayer. So just what do you think? First of all, what is your work? What is it, it seems like God's called you to in this season? And why don't you take a moment and invite God into that place and say, Lord, give me a, a fresh imagination 
of what it would look like for you to join me in my work or for me to do my work as unto you. So let him speak to you just in this moment of silence.